Chemical City Double Reeds is a full-service double reed shop specializing in the sale of instruments, cane, accessories, and sheet music. Double Reed Dish listeners can enjoy free shipping with code DRDISH, all caps, no spaces. Visit them in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or online at chemicalcityreads.com. Founded by Logan Esterling, Reed Design is pushing the boundaries of oboe and English horn reed making. They take the knowledge they've collected from hundreds of reeds and, with the power of machine learning, derive patterns and trends that accurately predict the characteristics of finished reeds while early in the sorting process. The result is quality reeds with characteristics you can count on. Using their products will save you valuable time and let you get back to what you love, making music. Visit www.readdesign.io to learn more. That's R-E-E-D-E-S-I-G-N dot I-O. Hi, I'm Galit Kaunitz. And I'm Jackie Wilson. And you're listening to Double Read Dish, a podcast for oboists, bassoonists, and the people who love them. It's been years since I've talked to you. Um, yeah, for sure. I've been. It's that part of the semester, like October. I just feel is like so saturated with events. I compare it to like spinning plates, and I just feel like no. I'm running from one plate to the next, but I'm not like totally like connecting with any of them. It's <laughs> like, okay, do this, do that. Blah, blah, blah. Like, uh, we always have the podcast, obviously. Right now, I'm gearing up to go to the Midwest Double Read Society Double Read Day, um, where I'm the guest for that, which I'm super excited about. But for some reason, and they let me choose whatever I wanted to play. They did not say, please play this piece. They were like, what do you want to play? Anything. And I was like, how about I choose a super hard piece that I've never performed before? during one of the more busy saturated semesters and um so i'm trying to get that uh ready to go and then i'm as you know on the executive board for meg quigley and the symposium is coming up at the beginning of january which might as well be tomorrow (laughs) i'm running a silent auction for work to raise scholarships and that's not the only stuff going on but it it does feel like right now it's like okay do 20 minutes of silent auction stuff then edit an interview for 20 minutes and then go uh, do Meg Quigley stuff for 20 minutes. Do a run through of the, it's the Libby Larson concert piece for any of the bassoonists who are interested. Why? I just say, go Libby, why? <laughs> why? But anyway, yes, back to your point. Um, I feel completely like I'm getting behind on texts and emails and connecting, if that makes sense. Like even when I respond, I'm like, connect be authentic, put your mind, be present, I guess, in the moment. And yeah, if you can't tell by my word vomit in response to your single <laughs> sentence, agreed. Well, How are you? <laughs> I, I don't want you to take all of that on yourself because I also feel like that, like running around and just trying to survive. And I'm like, I'll think about it. I'll be like, I haven't texted Jackie in like five days. I, I know she's <laughs> 
It wouldn't be okay if I wasn't texting you constantly, but it's not my usual MO. True. And well, and the other day, because the listeners wouldn't know this, but it's kind of our tradition that several times a week I will drive to work recording a voice memo to you. And you'll just like wake up or whatever, do uh, like five minute me rambling. And like, I went to do one the other day. And then I was like, I don't really have anything to say. Like, my days are just marching through my to do list. And then tomorrow, I try to get through everything on the list. And the next yeah. day, like, it, there's not like, you know what happened? I read the most amazing poem. And it inspired me to write a poem and then i painted a picture of the sky like that's just not how things are right now and so you know i was like i don't have anything to say all i would be is just straight complaining (laughs) right right just like one long scream I'm a person who's completely like driven by head pads. So every time I get a silent auction donation, I like send a text to my friend who's also on the committee and I'm like, silent auction donation. I got a silent auction. Oh, I got a uh, Pullman CrossFit to donate one month of membership. And I can tell like nice. they are like, yeah, okay. Here's like your 20th text asking for a <laughs> head pad. And I'm like, please. It's the only thing keeping me held on right now. I need external validation. Tell me I'm doing a good job. (laughs) Can you imagine me in a CrossFit gym? I'd be like, this is really heavy. (laughs) And what's interesting is I'm not like really stressed. I'm just busy. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I've, I've just got a lot of things on my plate, but I'm not like, oh, I'm overwhelmed by them. I don't, I don't know how it's all going to get done. It's just kind of like, yep, it's October. This, then mm-hmm. this, then do mm-hmm. this. Now it's time for this. Go do it. <laughs> so we're not dishing about how busy we are. Well, apparently we are, but. <laughs> <laughs> a topic has come up recently in both of our lives and we thought it would be a good um uh jumping off point for a conversation um based on how we're feeling i assume that a bunch of other people are feeling like this too yeah i got basically solicited for advice over the past couple weeks of like you know jackie you're someone who wears a lot of hats at what point do you start to figure out when to say no to things can i have your thoughts on that and i was like oh I should have some thoughts on that. (laughs) What is this word? No. How is it pronounced? Am I doing it right? Yeah. It seems simple, but it's quite complex. Um, And we got a lot of positive feedback about our dish about burnout, which you and I were kind of reluctant to do because it was vulnerable and... Mm -hmm honest. (laughs) And uh, so I thought this could be an opportunity to talk about, yeah, when to say no, personal capacity. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What are your thoughts? How is this topic weighing on your heart? Oh boy. It's weighing on my heart really heavily lately. I've had to have some really hard conversations um, with my students over the last week. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm having to implement boundaries that I always knew that I needed, uh, but have been reluctant 
to mm-hmm. pull the trigger on. And of course, I'm not going to name people or talk about any specific situations, but I'm a little bit shocked at how heavily it's hitting me to mm-hmm. have to implement these boundaries. And like, I, I, I feel heavy and heartbroken about it. And that, um, kind of my, my relationship to my teaching style has to change a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to my wonderful colleague, Kim Woolley. Um, she's very experienced. Um, and she was saying, well, are, are you sure it has, it isn't you that's changed? And I was thinking about that and I was like, well, when I started in this job, I was 31 and now I'm 38 and the person I was at 31 was very different. Well, and you were, this is such a, like, it's seen as a pejorative term, but I don't mean it that way. You were kind of green. I was so green. It was year two of higher ed. And and I, I agree with Kim. Now you are so many more years in and you're more seasoned and you yeah probably just have a whole lot of different depth of thought Mm -hmm. based on your experience at this point yeah i think that's a lot of it i think what i expect has changed and it just kind of all hit me at one time um and having those conversations was really difficult Mm -hmm. So yeah, for me, the boundary lies in my, you know, in my teaching and what I'm willing to accept and what I'm not willing to accept. Not necessarily like external opportunities, but more, how do I maintain myself? Like, how do I maintain control of who I am and what I do within that capacity Um, while also giving my students what they need, if that makes sense. So you were kind of feeling the limits of your emotional and personal capacity. Yeah. Yes. As a teacher recently. Yeah. And you've been warning me for a long time that that's coming. You have been sounding the alarm (laughs) for a long time. (laughs) I will abstain from comment at this time. <laughs> which, which, granted, was not because I'm like some, you know, fortune teller, but I had gone down that path as well. In for I won't speak for you, but for me, I had a lack of boundaries um, that resulted in me just kind of feeling, um, in some cases, taken advantage of, but for me, never like I was off the clock, Mm -hmm. just kind of um, in terms of access on both ends Mm -hmm. to me and my students. And, um, but we're also very different people. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I'm a lot more introverted. I need battery recharge time in a way that I don't know all people really need to the same extent, but yeah, I have really felt the difference in examining how I relate or um, communicate Mm -hmm. with my students. And for me, you know, putting up boundaries has been a more sustainable path forward. Yeah. And I'm doing it. I feel like I am maturing and growing up um, professionally. It's kind of a different way of saying no, like not, no, I won't do this, but 
no, this way doesn't work for me Yeah. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting to have this conversation with the interview coming up. Uh-huh. Moore is someone who had to kind of like devastatingly step back and say, mm-hmm. no, this isn't working for me anymore. I need mm-hmm. to make a major life adjustment. Mm-hmm. Um, and one that I bet from the outside looking in is still very hard for many musicians to understand, you know? Yeah. What about you? What is this, what does this topic bring up for you? Well, you know, when I was talking with this colleague about this topic, it really was kind of more about what we heap on to our plate. Mm-hmm. The scarcity mindset of feeling like you always have to say yes, because mm-hmm. if, if you don't, maybe they won't ask again or the shame of feeling no, feeling like there's not an option to say no, mm-hmm. but, um, and many times not realizing that you've said yes too much until the train is down the tracks mm-hmm. and you have no option, but seeing these obligations through. Been there too many times. Right. And so I, I kind of felt hypocritical in giving advice because it's like, I don't totally feel like I've learned this lesson. Um, I'll, I'll be really honest that the end of this summer was a very difficult time for me in terms of capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, I taught at that summer music program, IDRS, and I had the, the performance with Raven and uh, it was all good things all things that I'm not surprised that when it was, Jackie, will you do X? I said, yes, of course I'll do X. How fabulous. Um, But for it to be just like one right after the other um, and to not have the downtime in the summer, I realized too late that I had said yes to way too many things and just kind of um, had a real moment of feeling truly overwhelmed. You know, the other thing I'm trying to keep in mind that is kind of a lesson I'm having to learn the hard way is uh, around the spring, typically, is when we'll start to think about the next academic year. Mm-hmm. Okay, if I'm going to travel somewhere, where am I going to travel? If I'm going to um, do school visits, this, that, and the other. And I usually will be like, okay, here's what I think I can do. And then inevitably other stuff comes up. And what I've learned is I think I need to start planning for next year's thing, assuming and creating space for things to come up because where I've really had to like worry about capacity or feel like I'm not hitting everything is when, well, I didn't think that, you know, I'd get invited to do that thing or this thing would come up and, oh man, okay, okay. You know, Um, so just kind of like, not putting everything on the plate because it looks good (laughs) and trusting that I will continue to have opportunities. Like I said, I haven't been struggling with feelings of overwhelm as of late, but this at the end of summer, I really, really, really was. I've tried to keep that in mind going forward, but it's something I'm, I'm hearing from friends and colleagues that is just really at the forefront of their brain. Yeah. And something that um, I've experienced too, when you set boundaries, when you say no, you often have to do it more than once. Yes. More than twice. (laughs) You have to like, just, it's so hard to do it 
and then you have to do it again and then you have to do it again well and here's the hard part about saying no that it's kind of the unspoken part is what you're going to disappoint people yeah people are going to be disappointed by you saying there no. will be pushback to what you know the boundary that you're communicating many times yeah and for many of us, it's very hard to disappoint people, especially if you love them or respect them or mm-hmm. want them to love and respect you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's so hard. Yep. So mm-hmm. if you're out there feeling any part of this, we have so much love and compassion for you. Yeah. We don't have all the answers. Maybe this was just yeah. kind of like fireside chat <laughs> bonding time. So you don't feel <laughs> alone, but sorry, we don't have all the answers. If you're going through a rough time, we understand and we're here with you. Specializing in the finest assortment of oboes, clarinets, bassoons, and their accessories, RDG Woodwinds serves musicians around the world. Their employees are all professional musicians who have a deep knowledge of the products that they sell. RDG's repair shop has an international reputation with a combined 100 plus years of service among the five repair technicians. Plain and simple, RDG provides excellent products and fabulous customer service. Visit them at rdgwoodwinds.com. They look forward to working with you. Consider buying your processed oboe and bassoon cane from those friendly folks over at Barton Cane. Processed with care and precision for your everyday reed-making needs. Take the pain and injury out of reed-making by letting Barton Kane do the hard, repetitive, boring stuff. Free up time for practicing, happy hours, hikes, baking, and spending time with friends and family. Barton Kane here for you. Visit www.bartonkane.com. are so excited to welcome to Double Read Dish Morbiron Bassoonist. Welcome. Hey, thank you very much. We love to begin by asking our guests how they came to play their instrument. So could you tell us how you got started on the bassoon? Yeah, of course. Bassoon, I started uh, around the age of 11. Before that, I played cello since I was four years old Um, and of course like every child in Israel back then a flute recorder Um, I'm coming from a musical family at least my father is uh, is uh, Avner Biron is the founder and conductor of the Israel Camerata and he was a flutist himself and he since I was remember my since I can remember myself I sat next to him and when my feet didn't even reach the ground and and saw scores and stuff and heard music along him and learning the cello i think i i have a nice photo of playing a vacuum cleaner <laughs> the baton. Yeah, that's how my parents said, might be a little bit like someone look a little bit like a cello so and i did that's that amazing. that's really funny and around the age of 11 or 10 11 was my first uh, sabbatical in, in in my in my life where i stopped the cello and kind of i guess i looked for the next thing and i remember at that point that i played um 
I was playing at home, playing around with a bass flute. My mom, as a young musician, she won a competition and got all of the series of the flute is from uh, uh, recorders, I mean, and uh, block flute. Um, so from sopranino, soprano, alto, bass. And, and uh, I somehow found the, the big tube nicer. And, and later I realized it looks a little bit like bassoon. Not really with the, with the full knowledge of that. Um, and I remember my father was pl- conducting or, or there was my father's orchestra playing the Strauss's Duo Concertino. Mm-hmm. And I sat there and I think I somehow attra- got attracted to that. And I asked, what is this? This I want. The, this thing there would be interesting. And my father, my parents didn't think a lot. They just got uh, in touch with a, a conservatory in Rehovot, where I was born in Israel. And the instrument got uh, got home and I started. I didn't really knew anything about it. Didn't know anything about it before. So can you talk us through um, getting serious about the bassoon and deciding it's what you wanted to pursue professionally? I can, but I can also say that until today, I don't know if I'm doing it seriously or want to do it seriously or professionally. I mean, the whole aspect of professionally, I guess we may, maybe we'll, we will be touching it later. Um, I never thought in the, in the terms of, in terms of uh, career and uh, job. Maybe it's, maybe it's bad. Uh, but it was something that I got that I was was attracted to since very young age and uh, I just my inner voice in me led me to do the next next thing about it and made me uh, even take decisions which until today I didn't know how exactly where did they come from but they turned to be right for me. I guess that in the music, I always felt that I, yeah, that I know more or less the range of movement and I know where their general direction. Of course, along the way, and I remember, for example, sitting in a studio in Jerusalem, uh, checking out the mics and doing sound check and, and uh, the sound man he just forgot to to uh, take the the finger from the from the mic and it was open and he asked my father in the in the control room so playing bassoon he can do what will he make money from in the rest of his life and 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 along the way i remember me um yeah thinking about the fact the the, the fact what if all of this doesn't gonna happen you know? mm-hmm. and I just I, I guess it made me it made me go for it more going for it and um, I was studying in I finished my studies in Jerusalem in the academy Jerusalem Academy for Music and Dance and then I had a year 
uh, and then just got uh, came to studies in Berlin in in, in the Hans Eisler Hochschule for Music and at the Karl Academy, and from there things happened. Um, but I just I I I took it I took myself seriously. I don't know in a non-serious way, but I took myself seriously. Right. It's really inspiring. <clears throat> I know a lot of people have that question, you know, how am I going to make money doing this? Am I going to be okay? <laughs> am I, is my future going to be okay? And your response to that question was, I'm going to make it okay. This is what I'm trying to do today. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. This is the only thing that, uh, that, that can give, keeps me going and, and keeps up smiling and, and uh, doing the things we love. Of course, we have to do so many things around. Mm-hmm. I, I wish, for example, that I would learn more about how, what, is it, what does it mean being an artist? What does it mean uh, dealing with incomes, outcomes? How, how, much, how much do I give in order to get? How much do I get in order to be able to keep giving time and effort and, and not even talking about reads and things and ooh, everything and bringing the fact that we bring ourselves on stage again and again and does it get uh, is this feeling getting used to or getting old or getting how do you say like rough mm-hmm. or is it always um, something that I expecting to and they want to learn new music and performance and, and this this is what always keeps me uh, going with that and it's still fun <laughs> that's why I do it mm-hmm. when it's not being fun I finish <laughs> um, is do you do you find that that is your reason to keep going is that it's the thing that engages you and is fun among others yeah it is fun because it's uh, music and I learn how to enjoy that from very young age and I have to thank my immediate surroundings, my family for that and I do feel that it's uh, uh, it's a way of expression which I which I don't have otherwise mm-hmm. expressing my expressing my feelings and expressing my for myself just to to or to understand myself and to understand my borders and limits and how deep how high how right is it left is it um so it it's it is my own therapy in a way mm-hmm. before we get into your professional life um as a student you studied with Klaus Tuneman who is a renowned bassoon pedagogue um could we hear a bit about your experience with him and what he's like as a teacher Klaus is uh, is a father. He's kind of a father for all of his students. <clears throat> In his eighty uh, fifth birthday, which was a few months ago, just before the summer. <clears throat> Sorry, we met in in Hanover, uh, and there was a. Um, I think we were around eighty bassoonists students from all over the world. Because just 80 could come. I think the list had like 171 or two people, but just. Um, and uh, the most uh, clear feeling for me was that he 
feels like we are his children and each one of us feels like he's uh, he has a father figure in our life and Klaus was for example I, I knew him from CDs mm-hmm. with Marina and with Heinz Holliger and uh, Maurice Burg and and uh, name it uh, and I from the first moment I started my first lesson I never I never felt afraid or or well this is too this is really big I need to know how to deal with it he was talking to me immediately to all of us very straightforward sometimes too straightforward but he was a teacher that if that knows what to do if you give him a lot if you offer if you offer your musical way if you offer your your articulation your your sound your you myself not knowing what to do that he then he helps mm-hmm. but just trying to make the the teacher happy you wouldn't buy it right. you know? every lesson started when I'm when I'm putting the instrument together we start we sit on the piano and uh, play some jazz and some blues <laughs> until until I'm getting ready <laughs> yeah something i in in older age i i loved about him how how good he could improvise and uh, comes from jazz and rock and yeah in his early years <clears throat> could you walk us through um your training and educational journey you've already kind of walked us through but then uh more of your professional uh journey and evolution and how you've gotten to where you are today Um, yeah, I think the the most important thing is is the our surrounding. It means with along together with my surroundings um in each point in my life and it point in, during the day when it has a meaning, if not even tells me what am i and and who am I? Um, because you can, I cannot surround uh, sub, separate myself from where I am so i I do feel that along those years since I was a child and and later um I have changed a lot because of the surroundings so so i i in art school I got blown away from the possibilities of what what happens when artists meet you know in high school and and my first taste of uh, maybe real um professionalism was was um, when I went to the university and and started to winning a little bit competitions playing solo with Ivre Philharmonic and Jerusalem Camerata and um and I always saw my father preparing season after season after season for 40 years wow. and uh, and uh, training and working with musicians and and uh, performing and conducting himself and teaching flute and uh, teaching conducting in the academy and everywhere um so this gave me a lot of reference a big maybe my big teacher will be my my father because he was there the most of my years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember 
recording with, with Shai Vosner, who is a wonderful pianist. He's now teaching in Julia, but he's a wonderful um, a pianist. Uh, and in the recording, he asked me, when are you going to Berlin? It was just before I moved. And I told him there's an, there's an audition at the Karen Academy. And he said, okay, we're not recording until you change your flight. We're not, we're not rehearsing. I'm not playing with you. Because I was skeptical, you know. And, and, and he really pushed me. And I have a few people in those years uh, that gave me, you know, no way back. You just go and give, gave some help. Um, and coming to Berlin, I met Klaus. I, I, I met Daniela uh, Damiano, which was my teacher at the academy, and later my colleagues. And I had something something like four or five teachers at the same time two for contra and three for bassoon wow the head was the was was i didn't really know what everybody asks so i asked myself what do i want mm-hmm. um and sometimes i i of course sometimes i got hit by teachers not of course not physically, but it it got to places where it's not what they expect and and uh, but it was fine. It was part of my. I never felt that I'm in a wrong uh, course. Um, and there was one point when I felt that I after my academy time that I I just want to try an audition and I and then I I won the audition in in Spain in Valencia in the new opera with Lorraine Mazel and Zoe Meta at that time. It was a wonderful experience. And later the Munich opera and then and then a few months later I, I got to Berlin. It was very important for me to go out of Berlin and go into Berlin because my I think my relationship with Berlin is is uh, is it's interesting. It's not always. It's not always pink, and it's not always dark. Um, I learned to like the city, and, and like everything in life, I guess. I the more the more I spend time in in, in one surrounding, I get to know to get the real uh, perspective of where where is it, what good things, bad things, um, and after so many years in the orchestra. Uh, which gave me all of maybe so much of what I am today. Uh, I also decided that at one point this is it's a, it's a thing I can um, I can move on from, and who knows? We want to dig into that journey a little bit more, um, but I'd love to start with. Um, auditioning in general um eventually you know you started to analyze like you said where you were and where you wanted to be and um but when you were initially embarking on these opportunities you've won some very competitive (laughs) positions and i would be interested in your process and how you prepared for auditions and um a bit about that time in your life and and what you think helped make you successful in that process. Mm-hmm. It's a good question. Um, 
of course, um, there are many aspects or many answers for your good question. Um, I tried to go into my head when I was uh, studying and and I felt and maybe the time runs out in here and I have my contract at the academy for maybe six more months and uh, there was never someone who pushes me to do things. The teacher doesn't, I don't really believe in that. There's not I can ask them, my students to go uh, offer them competitions, concerts, uh, conventions, uh, auditions, whatever, applications that you want. But if they want to do it themselves, this would make a difference. Mm. And at one point, I looked for a place where I can just try, try uh, my my skill and can can imagine also playing because mm-hmm. I do think that it is important to make an addition in a place you want to play. Mm-hmm. And I waited quite a long time with it. Around me, I have friends who made also 70 auditions. Mm. I didn't, I, somehow I aimed high for me and it was hard, it was uh, important for me to aim high. I remember sitting with a friend and he told, told me you know, when I was very young, more uh, is Munich Philharmonic, uh, Bassoon, why shouldn't do it? I said, ah, come on, it's a Munich Philharmonic, what am I, um, like small student from? And of course, calculating now, anyone can sign in and anyone can win. Then, of course, there's, there's the portfolio of the audition and there's how, what, what's my personal portfolio when I come and play. Um, I always found the audition process super interesting. Very interesting of how things are happening. Uh, and I'm lucky to always taking, to, to be, being able to taking it um, lightly in a way. Mm-hmm. My audition to Lorin Mazel was at nine in the morning in, in Milano. It was so cold in February. At, of course, nothing is going to work. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> but for him as well, he just woke up to hear bassoon in the morning. I mean, it's not even, <laughs> his stuff is more than me. But there's no, there's not so much you know, I can play with it. It's not as serious. He and he was serious. Oh. He was a serious person. <laughs> but the, it's all a game. I mean, it's yeah. really important to know that all a one big game. And some people play the game a bit more seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the I had an audition where I went into the room. The pianist sits and then I see a black wall. And, and then she starts. Okay. I thought, we are, let's play some rehearsal. And I play and I turn around to her and, and she, does, she doesn't look at me. She, she's playing music. And I play. I don't need it, but okay. I'm ready to play. 
And then I realize I am realizing while playing that's the black screen. I am actually now playing the audition. Oh, <laughs> you didn't even know. It's behind me. And it felt so, it felt so ridiculous. And I went, really? <laughs> it's like sitting, it's like playing to myself at home. <laughs> Leave the record. Now let's, let's go to the end like that. It's not a problem. Uh-huh. Uh, and I somehow somehow I, I guess it it set on my um, musical uh, assurance that I have for myself and knowledge that I always try to to absorb into my soul not to get uh, not to get stressed from that but to play to play the game as it goes mm-hmm. my I did two additions to the Berlin Philharmonic and the first one We got in the final, and I played not good for me. My knees were shaking it so f- I was looking down on the, and and saying to myself, "I seriously I cannot play like that <laughs> <laughs> really doesn't help me, and I try but and the second time the the preparing to to the audition was much more mental and 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 more. Feeling the body, I got to the stage, oh knees, the right knees in place, the left knees in the place, not, not, nobody's shaking. okay, we can get down to making music. Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a very of course, later in my life i I got I, I practiced yoga for many years, and um, I Started reading with very good friends, uh, very close friends and dear people to me uh, get to speak with them also about Buddhism and and uh, at one point met Alan Watts on YouTube and read some of his books as well and uh, and this is I think really gave me another angle about being. A human being being a professional being a musician being an artist and how 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 many things of those of those uh, connecting dots um, are being taken sometimes too seriously or or just have have big titles but they mean something else they mean love and they mean fear and they mean pressure and And they mean disappointment, and they mean uh, excitement, and you feel it here or you feel it here, or you feel it in the, your knees or you feel it here or or I'm tired or and the connection with the body and the mind and and the the fact that we play wind instrument uh taking air breathing in breathing out i mean uh really helps me. To get the whole picture mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do it I don't think I have it, but to have a complete uh, picture of myself doing that thing that's really fascinating. I love that connection, especially as a wind a wind instrument player you know mm-hmm. it's we're so reliant on the body doing what it's supposed to do it's funny even 
even that you say we're relying on the body to do so we can do what we do, we are the body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can I I like to pull pull myself away from it. Like this is me and this is my body. <laughs> it's my hand. It's not my hand. It's me moving here, you know. <laughs> yeah, and then and then I also the expectation of me. Oh my god, what happens if me is is if me is going to do a failure? It, it's not me that makes right decision and a wrong decision or or makes it right or makes it wrong. It's just sometimes it goes this way and it applies going the other way. That applies going to the third way and then to the fourth way. And this is what I meant. It's it's for me breathing in is breathing everything in. Also when people are trying to scare me in an audition or trying to show me love when they're just sitting in the audience and want to hear some nice music and I feel scared that you will take in. And one conductor said once a very nice, um, very nice phrase, just in your first tone, give the air, give the air and uh, let the tone start, get birth into the world. And then release it a little bit to see what what next. So never and it's something that I also when go to a new place. You don't open the door <laughs> and you walk in. You walk in, come assertive, and continue from there. Oh, I love that so much. So. What can you talk us through um, the day that you won your position in the Berlin Philharmonic? How were you feeling, and and um, what was it like to start in that job? Yeah, the the I think it was end of uh, end of April around twenty sixth, twenty seventh, and it was. It was a long process. It started in the, started in the morning, and uh, were, there were three stages. We were like, in the end, around four or five finalists, and very good people, good friends. Mm. And after the audition, I had to have time alone, and I wasn't I was not as connected to myself as today. I just needed time alone. To realize what uh, what I wanted, because I really remember myself sitting with my father in bed before I go to my bed uh, at twelve at night when I was nine. I don't know when I was really young, maybe a bit older, uh, and watching on on at the end of the day concerts with Claudia Abbado with the Philharmonie. And you see Hans-Jörg Schellenberger and you see Stefan Schweiger, my, my colleagues. <laughs> and I knew them from uh, TV. From And I remember the stream of thought that, that, that just wanted, I want 12 seconds to play there. Just to, just to feel how it is. And the fact that I wanted that and didn't say, ooh, it must be scary to play there. I just wanted to put myself there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was the first 
initiation for this dream because it was a, co- a, a dream completely to play in the Berlin Philharmonica, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, along all the way, that was the, the place I really wanted to, to get to. But I remember after taking time for myself in the room or walking outside, I really realized that, that, that the dream has, it's happening. It's going to happen now, a few arrangements. And uh, uh, and I went to meet uh, very good friends who live here in Berlin. And I waited with my first call to my father and to my, uh, to my friends as long as I could, as long as I could. And I think he was the first one who, who I talked with. And then, of course, with my mom and... They were thrilled, and, and until today, they were super uh, um, supportive and uh, loving about anything uh, I do, of course. And I love them back for that. It's uh, I got a lot of power from that. Um, and then you, then after a few months, I started in September, and then we have uh, two years, so-called two years, Pobitzite uh, trial. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's clear it's clear if not it takes some more time my trial was around 10 months I think I guess they were fine with it <laughs> fine enough uh, but I did uh, I did feel of course I don't think anybody pressured me but I felt my pressure from my side and the pressure was okay now the audition was this is my level. Now I need to play for two years this level. Right. I didn't even think about that. Right. What have I done to myself? Winning the job completely and getting the approval for the, the tenure, I thought to myself, now after like a year of being, trying really to get it always right, now I need to deliver that for the rest of my life. But of course, it's, uh, it gets used to it. The more we do something, the more we come back to it, the more we practice it. It just happens. If, if this was the surroundings, I spent so much time. It made everything get into place. And so I it didn't, didn't know feel... where I'm going. No, after a while. And of course, many people talk about the stress and about, uh, yeah, every week, uh, two concerts live and, and, uh, but it's fun. It's fun. It's, 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 uh, you get a good level. And, you, and of course, it's sometimes, some things, some things are stressed, but I don't think nobody, I don't think that anyone stays with so much stress for so long time, such a long time, you know. Yeah, it normalizes, yeah. Uh, I would guess. Um, this is a big question, um, but can you expand more on your experience doing that job? Like you said, um, kind of getting acclimated to the expectations. Also, you're making this fantastic music. I would guess that was extremely um, cool to be able to have those musical experiences. And then eventually you start to maybe think this isn't what you want to do forever. 
and um, you make the decision to leave. So could you, I know it's a big question, um, but could you talk to us about that experience being in the Berlin Phil? Of course, I have uh, too many experiences to even to even start. Uh, right. I tried to number them down. But I have a lot of friends there. I have, uh, I met unbelievably interesting people uh, for a long time. Sometimes we, we spend much more time without between ourselves than with our families uh, on tour and, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took, try to, try to always listen and to, to be affected in one way or another from different styles and different uh, approaches and to see with the ear where is the kind of the conductor in me when, not because I want to become a conductor, because it's an orchestra that plays alone. It doesn't need a good or bad conductor. With a good conductor, it plays wonderful. With a bad conductor, it plays just perfect. It just plays just perfect, you know. Just disconnect and play. I know what Brahms stirred and and uh, Berlioz means to me. Uh, and sometimes it's hard for the conductor, for, for for any kind of conductor to to give their input. Um, because they, we offer a lot, but it's also good if you know how to, of course, turn it over and use it for your own, for your own, uh, for the sake of the whole concert. So I learned a lot and and, and um, developed a lot also with my instrument and and picking instruments and and uh, uh, of course reeds and and all of that. The approach to, I remember once there was a solo comes in like three, two, one, and there was a process in my mind that uh, that wanted maybe to to get detached from 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 the usual, from the old, from the young mall, which was to. I want other people to give me nice compliments for how I play. Mm-hmm. And it, in this moment, I realized I, I just, I had, it, it, it takes a millisecond. Um, but I said, no, I just, I just want to play how I want to hear that. And the rest is not important. It doesn't matter that I'm sitting on the stage in the Philharmonie in the evening and I'm live now. And I have wonderful colleagues, male and women and, and female just around me and I want all of them to say to, in the end of the day say, you know uh, I touch my shoulder and say wow a wonderful solo but not I, re- I, I want to experience the solo and the music as I want and this is for me also a point where I where I let my inner voice just go out before me mm-hmm. And of course, nothing. The sky didn't didn't fell, and uh, I think so it also was fine. I don't know, four or something. Uh, um, and after a while, yeah, it's hard for me to to draw a straight line. Um, I guess I I felt I felt in the last years that I'm. 
I get I got into a place where I go and play and I get to a very efficient place and I love teaching I love playing chamber music sometimes solos with the orchestra a lot and although I'm running from on the bike you know from place to place I I I more or less found a balance of how to deliver and of course in my level and uh, And I, I think I was looking for more creation myself. Yeah. Uh, it's not that I still have an answer for me, but I took myself the liberty of uh, taking it as another sabbatical, a second sabbatical of my life, <laughs> and traveled, and, and then Corona came, and all of you came into the sabbatical with me. like half a year before all of the corona already uh, free um, and coming back to the orchestra after after one year of course it was still under the corona re- uh, restrictions and we set I set three meters from Daniela playing uh, better than symphony <laughs> don't hear anything <laughs> Yeah, but it took eight seconds for me to realize that I, ah, I know how to do it. It, it. I feel at home, not more than that. Um, and I, I think I realized that if I, if I don't, for myself, because of my personality, if, if, I, if I do two things or three things at the same time, I will get, uh, I will get drawn into the, into the most busiest uh, issue. Mm-hmm. and uh, yeah I, I, just before 40 I let myself be a child again I don't know I'll try to to see yeah try to see where where, where else can I where, where else can I come with my with that I'm due here but I, it should be here around the heart mm-hmm. Um Yeah, with the musical and ambitions and and uh, yeah, personal place was that a hard decision because you spoke about getting to know yourself more and I could see this decision being something that was clear from listening to oneself I could also see it being like this was my dream and This is probably every classical musician's dream. I got it. I'm thinking about giving it up. Am I crazy? People will think I'm crazy. And I could see there being potentially a lot of conflict or clarity. Did that decision take a while? Or, or um, yeah, talk to us about that decision. You, you, you put it so beautifully. It's just all of the above. <laughs> really. Yeah. Uh... If it took a while, my girlfriend says it took me a second and all of, all of my life to to this it's an instinct, but well thought through and then yeah. it's an instinct you cannot think it through um of course i i that this is why I checked what is more without the orchestra in for me. Uh, in in the sabbatical I took after many years I took a backpack and traveled to Thailand met friend and uh, 
and then to Israel. I was supposed to be actually performing eight solo concerts in Israel and on the connection from Tara a week before my father told me our cancelled. Corona started around March 2020. And in a way I'm happy because it didn't get it didn't uh, leave me all on the you know a little bit with some touch to music and to the normal life. It took us even even uh, uh, harder like up above the picture mm-hmm. uh, stronger. Um, but there was I, I realized when I when I spoke when I when I told for example a, a friend of mine I I'm just I got uh, I don't remember if it was now doesn't matter when I said to a friend I I started the sabbatical he said you for me how I see you now you, you already had it, had to have it like two years ago you should be mm. I always have the feeling that sometimes for me I'm a little bit behind with my motion but it's fine because there are big decisions that uh, have a big and great um, effect upon my life and and the loved ones and uh, and of course it was very hard they asked me not to leave and uh, I've been uh, dealing with a lot of feelings inside and outside and friends and and will I see these people again after what seeing them so often right. um, and what would I do la, 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 and all of that but nobody knows what will they do right. I was always enjoying teaching and teaching is one aspect which uh, teaching sounds very yeah. um, always taught me about myself we learned so much From having this money time five seconds or twelve seconds to put in words how we want that something how we think of something uh, and transfer it to another human being to be able to understand something of what you said and implement it in their body and uh, so through through that, which is something I've never done. Uh, I, I did in the orchestra academy, but this has always kept me somehow like a mirror for myself. Mm-hmm. Would you share with us a favorite memory of a past performance? Mm. Of mine? Of, of, uh, I have so many. Have, it's really ridiculous. I have so many rehearsals where I just sit and I think, wow, this is why am I doing it? this and some others where I concerts where I sit and I don't understand why am I doing it <laughs> but I remember in one tour in Australia I, I sat in Sydney in the 12 cellist concert all of the group of the of the cellos have a wonderful uh, ensemble and if you don't know it do go and get to know it they they have twelve cellos are it's just it's amazing it's almost like twelve oboists but <laughs> really it's it's such a huge range and they have they sit in a half a circle on stage and they played 
wonderful program and they played Fauré, Pavan by Fauré. Mm-hmm. And I just listened to that um, on the, in the audience uh, and I was in tears. It was one of the, those moments I let myself completely enjoy to tears from that. And there's not doesn't have to be any explanation of why do I feel like that and why does the body react like that or it just I understand something here and it understands me and we're somehow holding hands. Maybe it was after a little bit wine in the sun, but it... <laughs> <laughs> were you inspired to take out your vacuum cleaner and your baton? <laughs> I was clean. um we always like to ask the question um what advice do you have for a young musician who aspires to have a career like yours and one of the reasons i was so excited to have you on the podcast is because i think you're a really important example of how we are allowed to change over time we're allowed to define for ourselves what we want and our concept of success is allowed to change over time and i think that's really important because we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves as classical musicians and we can allow tradition or the field to define um, success for us and so i feel like you yourself just your life is great advice but i wonder if you can offer any advice for young musicians who might be listening to this interview. Oh, yeah. Uh, thank you for the compliment. It's nice to hear. <laughs> uh, you don't have to leave anything behind you. There's no... We don't gain anything if we play a good concert and we don't get judged if we do not get an audition. Um I do believe that people change. I do believe that people, if they want, they change. And the first way, the first thing, I only thing I can start doing is to change myself. Uh, talking about the surroundings. So first of all, surround yourself with, uh, with the spaces and people and level that you want. Uh, always surprise yourself. Before you know it, surprise yourself. And it means uh, trying today in the lesson I was, I don't know, we were trying vibrato from the jaw and not from normal places and just and listen to whatever comes and then let yourself go and fool around. Not take anything serious. <laughs> Nothing. It's all a game. And the funny thing is to look at people that take it seriously. Uh Yeah, and be nice with yourself. Just be nice with yourself. Is there anything coming up for you that you would like to uh, tell our listeners about? Mm. Uh, there is a nice recording. Mm. I'm, I just recorded with my father's orchestra, um, which will come out at one point. The Rossini Concerto. It was a live concert, and and also there, I'm very happy we took a take where not necessarily playing the right, uh, just the score, 
but just I guess you can feel a little bit the 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 whole uh, feeling of that and about me I don't know let's see what happens I have also so many hobbies except bassoon you know so <laughs> <laughs> many things Mar, thank you so, so much for spending your precious time with us. We this was just so inspiring and invigorating. And um, thank we just can't thank you enough. Thank yeah. you very much, both of you. It was a lovely message to read to get the invitation, and I'm very happy about this that uh, that we yeah, have found the time to do that. Thank you very much. enjoyed that contemplative episode of Double Read Dish. I hope there's like a, a rainy window for you to look out with your chin on your fist as you listen. And a nice warm mug of tea. Yeah, it has to be tea. This isn't a coffee episode. It's a That's tea. Right. Maybe herbal tea? Definitely a chamomile. Yes. A sleepy time. Side note, there was a show I watched as a child and one of the characters pronounced it chamomile. <laughs> it was a Canadian show. So maybe chamomile. some of our can- Canadian listeners can tell us if Canadians pronounce chamomile chamomile. That's a little bit of a left wrong. turn from the rest of the content <laughs> of this episode. But um, please <laughs> like and follow on social media. And don't forget to go check out the results of the Halloween redecorating contest. And to... Not forget to join us for the next episode, Galit, who's going to be featured on that episode. We had an amazing talk with Abby Yackel-Held, Oboe Associated Faculty at The Ohio State University. So, Jackie, time to end this nerd parade. I don't have to make reads because I already made some reads this morning, but I'm going to go test them. Now I want you to make me some reads. I will never do that. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.